Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world, and this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. Welcome into Writing While Handicapped. I'm Derek Fadden. I am the author of What Death Taught Terrence and the new book, The Santa Claus Agreement. I am here with Susan Stokes Chapman. She is the author of the new book, Pandora, which is doing really well in London and is coming out here very soon. The 17th, I think. Is that right? It um, is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what has the launch been like? I mean, it's been a year for you, but what has that all been like? Yeah, you know, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for me, simply because uh, this, is my, this is my debut. So yeah. I was not really expecting it to do quite so well. So it came out in here in the UK in hardback on the mm-hmm. 27th of January. And the Sunday Times bestseller list comes out on the following Tuesday. Uh-huh. So within four days, I found out I was number one on the UK hardback. And I was like, oh, what do I do with this information? I, <laughs> I really wasn't. It was just completely surreal so that I had um that attention straight off it it was it was such a joy and I'm so so grateful and from that really it was just event after event and uh, festivals and it it was lovely meeting readers and hearing them that you know them be so enthusiastic about the whole thing but yeah it was quite overwhelming uh, let's say that so what is it about the so the book is essentially I, I, is it a retelling of myth? It's sort of, it's definitely myth. It's Greek myth. And it's like, I wouldn't say it's a retelling, but it's around, it's it's in that area. Yeah, I would call it a loose reinterpretation. I think that's probably the best uh, description for it because I'm going to hold up my hands and say, I'm not a classicist. Right. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not um, Madeline Miller. I'm not Natalie Haynes. I'm not Jennifer Saint. Uh if you were to ask me about any other Greek myth, I'm afraid I wouldn't really know much except, you know, the basics that pretty much everybody knows. But my heartland is the Georgian period. It, it always has been ever mm-hmm. since. I mean, I, I've just turned 37. But when I was, oh gosh, I must have been about 10, the 1995 uh, version of Pride and Prejudice came out on the BBC and I completely fell in love with that. And I think that's where my love of the Georgian era kind of started and it all developed from that. So I always knew that as a writer, I was going to write in the Georgian era. It's such a wide um, period of history as well, from 1714 uh, up until the 1830s. So that's a massive chunk of time to play about with. But in terms of actually linking the Greek myths to the Georgian era, right. it's not something you would have initially thought of but it was actually surprisingly easy because the Georgians were completely obsessed with um you know the, the old world oh. they if you look at their their buildings so the stylings of the buildings that were that were built in around that time you have all these beautiful Grecian columns um all the kind of stonework has this very beautiful architectural nuances that kind of you know they, they speak back to, to the Greek and Roman styling right. But even the fashions, so um, 
Pandora is set in London, 1799. So we're not in Regency at that point, but we're on the cusp of the Regency era. Mm -hmm. And many of the fashions for the women, certainly, they echoed the long Grecian sort of, you know, you know, dresses, the robes, styling, you know, all that kind of thing. And jewellery as well, which is a big theme in my book. Um, Cameos in particular, they often hark back to the ancient world. So because the Georgians loved antiquities so much it was just surprisingly easy to kind of place the myth of Pandora into that so-called modern setting I suppose. Tell me about Hezekiah he is quite the villain and uh, I mean I just he's kind of the worst but I mean he's meant to be so <laughs> you know. Uh... Well poor Hezekiah I mean he, he is a disgraceful person he's absolutely awful but I do have a bit of a soft spot for him because trying not to give away any spoilers but later on in the book you do sort of begin potentially to understand why he went a little bit off the rails um but no he's he's a greedy man he's uh selfish he's lazy he's money driven and that's all he cares about really he's kept his niece Dora on in the shop simply because it's convenient to him he's got no reason to get rid of her at this point but uh, yeah, he's just, he's, he's a nasty piece of work when he wants to be and has a bit of a drinking problem as well. So <laughs> that, that makes it worse. But I think deep down, there's a lot of kind of hurt there. There is a softness and it's a, a bit of a rebellion act and uh, a way to make him feel better about himself. But obviously, we don't really see that about him, especially when he does something to a certain character. About right. halfway through again, yes. trying not to say spoilers. We really dislike him then, but I had to yes. a character that nobody particularly liked. But I think it would have been wrong of me not to give the dark characters some sort of redeemable traits because that I'm not saying that's necessarily the, the truth in you know in you know in today's day and age. But I like to think there was a little bit of lightness in in, in everybody. The idea is dark. that everyone is somewhat redeemable if they want to be. Yes. And then there's Edward, who I really liked Mm. a lot. He he was a really, he was interesting character because I I just, I I liked him as a person. And I think he was a really good counterpoint to Hezekiah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, with Hezekiah, Dora is very much trapped. She, she's resentful. She doesn't like him one bit for, you know, for obvious reasons, so Edward, for her, is a breath of fresh air. He's a golden boy, I suppose. Um, he's just somebody that she feels instinctively that she can trust, and she just feels very, very safe with him. And because he has damage of his own, that makes mm-hmm. him very um, compelling and sympathetic as a character, I think, for, for readers. I did enjoy creating Edward. Funnily enough, though, it was always Dora that came first. Edward mm-hmm. only came in later when I realised the book itself couldn't just have Dora as the main character. <laughs> I needed other. I needed other foils against her. So right. Edward coming in was 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 perfect for that. So I think they make a good pairing. But Is... I will say, oh, sorry, Derek. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that. Um, this novel is very much about female empowerment. It's about um, strength and battling adversity. And so in the Greek myth of Pandora, Pandora herself is thought of very much as either the victim or the villain. 
neither of which I wanted my Dora to be. So while Edward is extremely helpful to her and he's a friend and he's a companion, it is always her calling the shot. She's the one that's driving the story. She's the one right. that's making yeah. I wanted her to be able to rescue herself rather than Edward be the one to do it. Because we've seen that story many times. Mm. Oh, look, the guy is rescuing the damsel in distress. And also, yeah. just these days, we don't need that. We've seen, we, have, we, no. have so, we have so many of those. Um, exactly. Yeah. But was Edward always in the story or was he somebody you brought in on a different draft, maybe? I'm, no, as so a, I Yeah. As an author. Um, Mm. So, as I said, it was originally just going to be Dora's story. It was going to be completely from Dora's point of view. Hezekiah was always there. Right. But I wasn't necessarily going to do anything from his point of view either. But as I said, I probably got to about chapter five or six when I realised I can't carry this on its own. All the way. Dora just, yeah, just Dora being in the shop, you know, kind of, there just wasn't enough agency going on there. So I realised I had to bring another character in and it just made sense for it to be Um a guy and yeah. for Edward himself to have his own ambitions and for them to be able to help each other there needs to be that setup where we could take the story between them both because there's three POVs in, in the novel Hezekiah is there on a few chapters but it is mostly Dora and Edward and mm -hmm. so I needed the story to kind of track its way along with both characters bringing out the story from each other so yeah Edward had to be there but he wasn't there in my initial drafting no but see that's interesting to me as an as a writer because I feel as as an author because I feel like we we think we have it and then we find out oh no I need this or I need that to make it yeah. work and and uh then you look back at those old drafts and you say how did I think this worked in the first place right <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I'm having a bit of trouble uh, with that with my second book at the moment. Um, I mean, going back to your original question about how, how it's been uh, in terms of the release of Pandora here in the UK, a lot of it was quite stressful as well because I was trying to write yeah. the second book and yes. novel syndrome is 100% a real thing. I didn't think it would be, but it, it was. So yeah, it's very interesting how, how the two books differ. But um, yeah, at least with Pandora and, and Edward, uh, that decision was something I made quite fast earlier on in the stage. So I didn't get through a whole draft and then realise Edward had to be there. Like I said, right. I was probably about six chapters in. That's good for you. It's just less writing you have to go back and fix. <laughs> it is, yeah. Like I said, as opposed to book two, which is a complete mess. <laughs> but, you know, that's the shelf life. Hey, I'm sure. I, I, um, so, okay, so is book two also going to be going to be myth driven yes and no so I as I said earlier my heartland is the Georgian period so I think I will always write my novels in that period sure. of time anyway because it's such a rich and fruitful you know time period I can play about with um and this one I can't say too much about it because it is changing oh, and evolving I yeah I wouldn't but, ask you to <laughs> but it is set in rural Wales uh, so okay. that's where I'm living at the moment. So I, I, I'm actually living in the kind of Snowdonia uh, area of Wales. It's very, very beautiful. Um, but it lends itself extremely well to the Gothic as well. So this yes. is going to be a much... I, I, I think of Pandora as a very light Gothic, whereas this next one's going to be quite a dark Gothic. But it's still Georgian. Mm. And in terms of myth, there's, I'm going to kind of refer to a few of the Welsh 
myth elements, but it's also got links to the Hellfire Clubs of and uh, you know kind of occult sort of elements. So, so so we'll see how it actually turns out. But there's definitely that kind of vein of this is a writer who likes the Georgian period with an element of kind of myth mythicism in there. When your publisher got in t when she got in touch with me, it was because I like um, historical fiction a lot. Um, yeah, I tend to write in my books. I tend to write with characters who have the same cerebral palsy that I do. So you write the Georgian period and I'll write the cerebral palsy books. And, you know, that's how, that's how it works. It's just, it's yeah. <laughs> certain authors, certain, it's just certain authors. It works for what, you know, I, I guess you find what works for you. Exactly. And, um, and, and once you, and once you have it, and the other thing is with historical fiction, the world is built for you. Like, mm. you know, I, I talk to my friends who do high fantasy and I'm like, you spend 300 pages just building the world so you can write the rest of it. Like, oh, it, it's impressive know? though. I mean, oh, I'm amazed by it. I, I couldn't do it. Imagination. Yeah. It's, I, I could not do fantasy. That's impossible. No. I mean, the charm about historical fiction is that there's always a springboard for something else. You know, there's, there's a plethora of, of research available to you. Yes. And you can either use a real event or something inspired by a real event. So you have a skeleton almost to work with, but you, it's up to you then to flesh out the gaps in history. And that is such a pleasure. And you find the story you. there. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, let me ask you if our, if, our, if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, and they should want to, uh, how do they do that on, on the web? Yeah, so I have a website, so www.susanstokeschapman.com. Oh. It's a bit of a mouthful. Sorry about that. But um, I am... And we will put that in the... It, yes, and we'll put that do. in the show notes. Yes, yes. Sure. <laughs> but I have Twitter and Instagram, and I'm not on anything else. I just find Twitter and Instagram; those two are enough. I don't have the mindset, yep. or or I, I I find things like Snapchat and TikTok extremely confusing. I try just, TikTok, but it just doesn't work. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I can't get there. Yeah. I try. <laughs> No, it's, it's just, no, it's, it's not for me, not at all. So I just prefer to stick Twitter. I only ever kind of put on publishing booky kind of stuff or academic his, history content, whereas Instagram, I like to think is everything else. Uh, but my hashtag yeah. on, you know, my kind of apps for that, right. both of them is S Stokes Chapman. And that's that should be easy enough to S Stokes Chapman. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and joining us today. I really appreciate uh, the scheduling. You, we, we were able to we were able to make this work, and that was great. Um, <laughs> the book is the book is Pandora. Uh, it is it's great. It's coming out uh, here in the states January seventeenth. You guys should pick it up. It, it's really really good. Writing while handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>